Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. So Heavenly Father, again, we just come before you rejoicing, and we do pray that you would be honored and exalted and that you would speak and that you would help young people here today to understand things that maybe they never understood, maybe reinforce things they did understand, whatever the case might be, that you would move on the hearts of young men and women and that they would count the cost and they would realize, hey, this is a life worth living. I pray that you would do that. We can't possibly do that, so we leave it at your feet and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in the world of the qualifications, um, I'm not going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. I mean, I'm assuming that if you're here this morning, uh, you already understand those things. If you don't, just jot down 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. And if you've been through discipleship, discipleship 2, and those kind of things, you understand that there are some biblical character qualities that a leader must possess. Uh, Read those and do them. Okay, now we're done. Now, the thing I want to talk about is a passage of scripture that the Lord really helped me to see things that I had never seen before, and it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you do have your Bible, kind of follow along, and we'll start in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to dissect several verses kind of near the end of that chapter, starting in verse number 16. So if you just follow along, I'll read. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you, For indeed he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance, which is administered by us providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. And our brethren be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Now, if you're familiar with the book of 2 Corinthians, you would recognize that chapter number eight and chapter number nine are arguably the two greatest chapters in the New Testament on the subject of giving. And frequently in missionary conferences, we talk about needing to give financially to the mission, and that is true. That's not what we're talking about here, but the theme of the chapter is all about giving and giving sacrificially. And what we're dealing with at the end of chapter number eight is Paul giving men to care for the churches. And so in that context, I want you to get this because really I'm drawing, where the Lord spoke to me is from verse number 23 where it says, where they be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches. Now, again, most of you, if you're from these churches that we fellowship together, you probably already know this, but just for clarity, in case you've never heard this before, you wouldn't be surprised to know that the word missionary never appears in your Bible, and that's simply because it comes from a Latin root, and your Bible doesn't come from Latin. 
Your Bible in the New Testament comes from Greek, and the word in the Greek language would not be translated missionary, it would be translated apostle. So the word apostle is the cash equivalent of what it is to be a missionary. It is one who is sent, and you've probably heard that before. Well, another word that that Greek word for apostle is also translated as messenger. And that's literally what a missionary is, right? So a missionary is a messenger. He's somebody who has been given a message and he carries it to another location to deliver that message. So in this context of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is talking about Titus and others who are called the messengers of the churches. So immediately we have a missionary context. Immediately we're dealing with a situation where we can understand that whatever it is he's saying about them are things that we can glean. And that's what I want you to understand because on top of the character qualities of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, I want you to see some specific things that Paul references when he refers to these men who are called the missionaries, the messengers of the churches. There are particularly some things that are not normally mentioned when you talk about missionary training. And these are things that I also witnessed in my experience. So what we're going to do is we are going to kind of walk through these verses and pull out some, some qualities and kind of see... How that, how that plays out. Again, as a disclaimer, with, with, I'll, I'll pepper this talk with Albania stories, but um, because Albania was really controlled by the devil for an entire generation from World War II until like 1991, um, it was a very dark place spiritually. There's a lot of dark places spiritually. But as a result, there was a lot of confrontation. There was a lot of opposition. You know, you're like a fish trying to swim upstream. And so, so what happens is when you live in an environment like that, what happens to missionaries, and it happens to them all over the world actually just by culture shock, is that the very worst of your character, which by the way, we all have, the things that in your home culture and country, you figured out a way to suppress and hide, you figured out a way to dress it up so nobody sees it, and you put your best face forward. By the way, if you don't know me, I'm just kind of a bottom line kind of guy. I just kind of throw it out there, and I hope you'll love me. Um, and if you don't, I still have a wife, so whatever. <laughs> but in a context like in Albania, what I saw was time and time and time again, and on myself as well, the very worst of my life seemed to come to the surface and be put on full display so everybody could view. And boy, that's humbling. And so I began to wonder, why is that? And, and what are the things that I really need to understand about that? So I found 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So the first point in your notes comes from verse number 17, and, and it's, it's this, and I, I have some fill in the blanks because I hear that's what you're supposed to do. Not only willing and obedient, but enthusiastic, okay? It says that he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord. In other words, Titus was a guy who not just... He wasn't just a good little soldier. He wasn't just willing to go because somebody said go. He didn't just necessarily read the verse, go ye therefore, and said, well, I guess I'm supposed to. I'm not too thrilled about it, but I guess I will. There's times when we all do stuff like that. But he was more forward of his own accord. He was enthusiastic. He, he actually wanted to do it. He, he desired to be a part of it, right? In 1 Timothy 3, it starts off, if any man desire the office of a bishop... He desires a good work. You should desire this. If you want to make this your life vocation, and I hope you will, this should be something that you're excited about wanting to do. I can remember as I was coming up in training and I was a part of a church in North Alabama 
that every year they had a big missions emphasis and a big missions conference. And boy, I mean, I was working as a mechanical engineer at that time, and I was in my 20s. And, and man, that was the most exciting time of my year every single year. And, and when I finally got to the point I had my own little house I was renting, and it wasn't a very nice house. But I, I, I begged the pastors, when the missionaries come, will you let somebody stay with me? I want desperately to have them in my home for a few days. I took time off work to be there in the day sessions. I mean, I, I, I thought this was the most exciting thing in the world. And I worked, I mean, I, 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 took, I worked hard in college. I mean, I crammed a four-year education into seven. I mean, I was into it. And, and so, you know, I mean, I had a good job and all this stuff, but I did not care. I was not a, a, an engineer who happened to be a Christian. I was a Christian who happened to be an engineer. And man, this was exciting. This is what I wanted to do. I dreamed of the day, pay off my school loans, be free and go serve the Lord. And man, that's, that's the attitude you want to look for. And if you're a leader of a church, you should be looking for that in the people that are saying that they want to be missionaries. The second point I want to see comes from verse 18, where it says that they had the praise throughout all the churches. So the notes are solid public testimony before many churches. A candidate for missions ought to have a solid public testimony before multiple churches. Now, that's not always easy because we get really busy doing the things we do in our local church. But times like this and conferences like this, we rub shoulders with one another. We get to know one another. We engage in events together and we go on trips together and, and we serve and we do things and cooperate with other people from other churches. So other leaders who maybe don't have the same quirky view of ministry like your pastor does or whatever, they can also see that regardless of your quirkiness, because we all have that, that you're a solid brother, you're a solid sister, you love the Lord, you have character, you stick with it, you're disciplined, you're all of these things. And, and that's something that it's just confirmed across the greater body. That's a really important thing. I mean, most certainly a man ought to have a solid testimony in his own church. Certainly your pastors know you better than anybody else could possibly know you. But man, to also have other leaders from other places that maybe don't know you quite as well, but every time they bump into you, their, their perception of your life and character is positive. Man, that's a, that's a huge benefit. And let me just say that's a huge benefit of being a part of the Living Faith Fellowship of Churches. That is a huge benefit of being a part of something bigger than just your local church. That's a benefit of, of being a part of a Bible Institute where you have multiple teachers from different places. That's a benefit of doing things together with other churches. This is a great opportunity that you have in front of you. And for the individual as well, I, I think that the individual man or woman needs to have exposure to other churches. You need to be exposed to the ways that other men and women lead other ministries in other places. People do things differently, and it doesn't have to look just the way you like it to look for God to be in it. And the more that you rub shoulders with people like that, you can learn to eat the meat and throw out the bones. You can learn to pick the parts that are gonna help you and leave behind the parts that aren't necessarily your favorite. It's okay. That's just going to help you. That's going to build you up. That's going to make you much more effective when you become the messenger of the churches. That's going to help you because now you're, listen, there's going to come a day that some of you are going to 
finish your training. You're going to be ordained. You're going to hug your mother and father for the last time, and you're going to get on an airplane, and you're going to go far away. And when that happens, you're going to land somewhere, and you're going to be excited and enthusiastic about that. But you're going to realize, you know, now what do I do? And I no longer have a church of 300, 500, 1,000 people who look like me and talk like me and believe everything I believe and all the support groups and all of... You no longer have any of that and, and you're somewhere and like the prophet Nathan said to David, this is totally out of context, thou art the man. <laughs> I mean, it's you, man. You got to teach them. And you're going to realize, you're going to bump into people who do things differently. You better already know how to roll with that. You better already know that you can handle that kind of a thing. And uh, we'll talk more about that later. I, I'm never going to finish today. Okay, number three comes from verse 19. Chosen rather than simply a volunteer. It says in verse number 19 that they're chosen of the churches. Chosen of the churches. Okay, so as our churches grow, we have more people, we have more needs, there's more you know, nursery never has enough people to work in it. Certain areas never have enough people to volunteer. And we're always looking for volunteers and praise God for volunteers and all that sort of a thing. But just volunteering, especially for something as high of a calling as missions, cannot be enough. You should be willing to volunteer. But if you are a volunteer, that is not, you need to be chosen by your church. And churches, by the way, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit in the future about what I think is a strategic benefit of having to go out and raise your support. An actual benefit to having to pack the kids in a minivan and drive around the eastern half of the United States for two years or whatever it takes you to do. I mean, there's actually benefit to doing that system. I do not need to get off track. Okay, so... You need to be chosen of your churches, and that's a really important thing. In fact, if you just look with me real quick, I want to, this verse has always stuck with me. It's in 1 Kings chapter 13. I've referred to this in the past. People from our church would know this. It's the story of Jeroboam, and of course he was probably the most referred to in the context of evil kings of Israel. And at the last two verses of 1 Kings 13, just notice this little principle. It says, after this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people, priests of the high places. How did he find them? Whosoever would, he consecrated him. And he became one of the priests of the high places. So Jeroboam realized, hey, I need to get back into this spiritual thing and maybe it'll help me, I don't know. And, you know, we don't really have qualified priests, so... Who wants to be the priest today? Any hands? Can I see any hands? Anybody want to be a priest today? Whosoever will, let him come and be a priest today. Because he just wanted to fill a slot. And it says in verse 34, And this thing became sin under the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. And God said, you know what? That's a pretty serious deal being a priest in the temple and you can't just pick anybody. There are definite qualities. You have to be a Levite. And you have to, there are certain qualifications to being a priest, and they have to be selected. And so you should be chosen. You should have proven yourself. The only way that you can be chosen is that you're proven. That's our next point. 
And it comes from verse 22. I skipped 20 and 21 because really they're character qualities, and that would kind of compare to 1 Timothy 3. So in verse 22, proved diligent in many things. Proved diligent in many. This is a real pet peeve of mine. Okay, so not, as I put in those, not just in the word or not just in prayer or not just in service or whatever, but in all of those things, proved diligent in many things. And it does seem like today in our society globally that more and more and more people become specialists and, and everybody hones in and fine tunes their expertise in one particular aspect of ministry. I am a children's minister. I am an evangelist, but I don't do children's ministry. I am a disciple maker, but I don't do evangelism. I am a Bible teacher, but I don't do discipleship. I, and, and everybody wants to kind of hone in on their specialty and kind of leave the other stuff to somebody else who's a specialist. Well, if you're going to the doctor for something, you want a specialist who really knows about that part of your body. But in ministry, that's really not what God intends for us to have, right? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable with doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto a couple of good works. No, unto all good works. We miss that part. You see, I mean, who today is just going to be a specialist in the Bible? Who's going to be a specialist in ministry? Well, that's contrary to the definition. Of, yes, of course it's contrary to the definition. That's the whole idea. And that's what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 when we're talking about these messengers of the churches. They need to be, these are men who are proven to be diligent in many things, not just some things, not just, well, this is a good brother. I mean, he's really good at leading worship, but I mean, don't ask him Bible questions or whatever. Well, I mean, you may enjoy having that brother in your church where you can help him through the areas he's still growing, but that's probably not the guy you're choosing just yet because his training is still in progress, right? And so that's an important thing. So, man, if, and think about it, if you're going to be the first guy on the scene, I mean, that was my experience in Albania. It was a brand new opening field. There was nobody else doing it. And so if you're the first guy on the scene, and before we're done this week, I'm going to talk more about why I think you should seriously pray about finding a scene where you are the first guy. Okay. I think God would be pleased if you could do that. Okay. So if you're going to be the first guy on the scene, and you know what that means, don't you? That means that if there's going to be any kind of ministry, it's going to be your ministry. So, you know, I'm the guitar player. God help us. I did that for years in Albania. It wasn't beautiful. I prayed like crazy. For some reason, the, the artsy people, I'm an engineer, you know, and I teach systematically and analytically. And for some reason, the artsy people just went to charismatic churches. I don't know. And they... And, and I had engineers and math majors, and I don't, you know, and so nobody could strum a guitar, you know. And so I'm, if it was going to get done, I had, there's not a ministry in the Tirana Bible Baptist Church that we started that I didn't start first except the ladies' ministry, and my wife started that. But from children, from sweeping and cleaning up the chairs, every discipleship teaching, everything that we ever did, I did first, and then trained somebody and then handed it off to them. That's just discipleship. 
And the job of a missionary is very, very difficult because they're doing that in a strange language, in a strange culture, and typically they're doing it virtually alone. And so, man, you need to be proven diligent in many of these things. And can I tell you, in order to do that, man, that, that takes time. It takes time to do that. We have some young adults here from our ministry in Ohio, and I love these guys, man. I, I, I tell them, I, I probably shouldn't say this out loud, we have, we have less young people from my ministry in Ohio here too. Okay, my favorite people are those people. I'm, I'm here to help them learn and grow. But here's the, here's, the, here's the inherent issue I have with excited young adults who want to do something for the Lord. They want to be mature and ready and sent right now. They're impatient, right? And, and growth takes time. That's why they have this phrase of growing pains. And so I slow them down and they want to run. And I know they get frustrated. I know they're thinking, man, the old man is just, you know, lazy or whatever. I don't know what they think. But it takes time to develop these things. You can't be proven diligent in many things tomorrow. Right? Is this logical? I mean, okay. I'm just telling you, common sense has gotten me pretty far down the road. Growth takes time. You can't just wish it to be so. You can't just pray more today and expect it just to happen. You have to live life. You have to live life through the tough times. You have to live life in the lousy job that you have and the people you have to work with that are robbing you of 40 or 50 hours of your week. You have to deal with all the junk you've got to deal with, with whatever your circumstances are. While you're ministering and studying the Bible and discipling people and serving and going to LFBI, whatever you're doing, and you're juggling all this stuff and developing character. That's what you're doing. You're learning how to learn. And that's a really important thing. Okay, is my time up? No, okay, we're good. All right, verse 23, point number five. It says that Paul's partner and fellow helper. In other words, Paul is the leader. So therefore, the missionary candidate should first be a good helper to his leadership. You can never lead if you never learn to follow, right? Okay, so the principle is Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 12. He that's faithful, which is least, is faithful also in much. He that's unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? And so a lot of times we take this passage of Scripture and we just apply it financially, right? And, and it has application there. So if you consider a business application or a financial application and you say, look, you've got to be faithful in the least, like mammon and the small things, then God will trust to you true riches like the souls of men. But it really applies at any scale because when he makes the statement at the end in verse number 12, it says, if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who will give you your own? Well, apply that to your ministry. If you can't prove yourself to be faithful in my ministry, then why would I trust you to have your ministry? Because at the end of the day, when you become a leader, you have to have compassion for those that follow you. And if you haven't learned how to be a good follower, you couldn't possibly... You know, when we teach the issues of leadership, that's why we always call it servant Leadership. That's what Jesus Christ did, right? Jesus Christ said, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. He's a servant of all. 
And, and he was the ultimate leader. And so that's the principle that we're dealing with. Listen, there's a lot of challenges in life, but you have to get that. You have to realize that wherever you're at and the ministry that you work under, there will be times, God will design times in your life where you will have friction with your leaders. They will not involve sin. They will just involve opinion. And your leader will say, I want you to do this. And you will think that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And it is God's designed test for you to see if you will do it anyway. Can you be a team player? One of the qualities of David's mighty men, that there were men who knew this times and they knew how to keep rank. If you don't know how to do that, God will never trust you with others to keep rank under you. You reap what you sow. And you don't want to sow discord and expect to reap unity. It's just never going to work that way. Number six, also from verse 23. I want you to notice that a biblical missionary is, not like, is the glory of Christ, right? These are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Okay, so he is the very personification of what Jesus is all about, leaving his home comfort family to go into sacrifice so that others can be saved. A missionary's very life manifests God's glory. So when Jesus said, I mean, Jesus, the ultimate missionary, he laid it all down. He came to this earth. He, he lived his life as a man among men, right? And he sacrificed everything he could possibly sacrifice so that we could be saved. And as the Father sent me, so send I you. And if you will do that, if you will lay it all down, if you will be a messenger of the churches, then you literally glorify, you present, you, you, you put out there the very representation and manifestation of the person of Jesus Christ because that's exactly what his life was all about. I want you to notice Matthew 19, 27 to 29. Peter answered and said unto him, Behold, we, the twelve disciples, have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we, the twelve disciples, have therefore? Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye shall also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so it's very specific to the twelve apostles. This has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. There are twelve men. There are 12, there's only twelve thrones. There's only twelve tribes. There's twelve guys. It's a number of Israel. It has nothing to do with us. But it goes on in verse 29, and this is what you got to get. So we got the Jewish application. And everyone, here we go, now we're included. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. So there's just something special. There, there, God promises special rewards for somebody who's willing to take that extra step. It's not an easy step. So these messengers, they're sent of the churches. The church is the sending authority. And notice they're, they're messengers of the churches, plural. Yes, you should be sent from your church. There's no question about it. Barnabas and Saul were sent from the church in Antioch, their home church, their sending church, no question about it. But man, we partner together 
and we support multiple missionaries and multiple missionaries get support from multiple places and they become the representatives, the partners together with multiple churches and that is a huge advantage. My time is not gonna allow, but I'm telling you, when I was, the favorite part of a missionary, a career missionary is not raising support. That's their least favorite part. It's the part of the job, everybody's got in your job. If you love your job, there's a part you don't love, but you do the part you don't love so that you can do the part you do love. The part you don't love, if you're, if you're a career missionary, the part you love is being with the people God called you to be with, not raising the money. You feel like a beggar, you feel like you're wasting your time. But man, there's advantages to it. That was, that was alliterated, okay. And so, there's advantages to that because you make friends, you learn things, you meet people, and you become the representative of many churches, and that's really what we see in the scriptures. Number seven, if you find such a guy, I say that he's worthy of a church's financial support and their boasting. Verse number 24, wherefore show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love. In other words, put your money where your mouth is. And of our boasting on your behalf. Listen. There's, you can be proud of the people that you represent, that represent you. You can be excited, and you ought to be, of your missionary partners and your extended family, and, and you should rejoice and praise the Lord for them and what they do and pray for them. And man, that, you should boast on them. That's, that's what you should do, and you should show them the proof of your love. Okay, we gotta move on. Let's talk a little bit about missionary strategy. And the key thing really in missionary strategy, and when, when we teach the class in LFBI, I'm really gonna break these into different categories, but for now, I lumped them together, and it's cultural sensitivity. Man, I'm just telling you, I, 15 minutes is not enough to talk about cultural sensitivity, but it is the key strategy in trying to reach people. I mean, cultural contextualization, it's emphasized by Jesus to his apostles. I, I, I quoted John 20, 21, as my father has sent me, so send I you. How was Jesus sent? Well, he was the eternal word of God and he became a man. He lived among men as a man without sin. He didn't really, he didn't start his public ministry until he was 30. So he just kind of hung around and learned the ways of man for a while. If you can say that, it's about the Lord. However that was, I mean, that's how we are sent as well. And let me just say in your notes again, it's, this is a difficult task. I mean, this is way harder than you think it is, no matter how hard you think it is. Unless you've done it, everybody who's done it, I'm glancing, they're nodding. Listen, everybody in this room, I would say, we're gonna read 1 Corinthians 9, if we don't get to it, you read it, okay? Everybody would say, amen, yes, we gotta do that to a Jew, be a Jew, you know, to the Gentiles, be Gentiles, to, with law, without, okay. Everybody knows that, amen, glory to God, I agree. Ain't everybody doing it. Let me just tell you, ain't everybody doing it. These are just my observations as a guy who's tried to do it. And there's a lot of great Bible teaching tools out there, but if you don't have it contextualized, can I just tell you the audience ain't getting it? They're just not getting it. Somebody taught me once a long time ago, communication is not achieved just because you speak. Communication isn't achieved until people actually hear it. And if you don't speak it in such a way that they can hear it, they don't really hear it. <laughs> and so you haven't necessarily really communicated with them. And so 
far too many missionaries. And I, listen, we're, we have good churches and, and your pastors invite good people into your churches. And probably the percentage of this happening in your churches is small. But I'm telling you, when you get out in the real world, you realize the percentage is really huge of American, I'll just speak for Americans, American missionaries, they move to foreign countries and they live in American homes, they live American lives, they build big American walls around their homes, they hire local servants to do everything for them, to pay their bills and drive their car and, and shop for their groceries and cook their food and clean their houses and because labor is cheap and they've raised a lot of money and they've got a lot of money and they give their money away so that they can be comfortable and live their lives and so they can live in their compound and they have their American flag on their, you know, on their living room wall and they go out of their home compound and they go minister to those people for a while and then they retreat back home and they're like, oh, now, boy, I feel at home now. And I'm, I, know, I know if you've never heard that and you're thinking, that's a cynical old dude, man. I'm just telling you, the vast majority of North American missionaries live their lives like that. And as a result of that, what happens is they're not effective. They're not bad guys, they're good guys. They love the Lord, they love the Bible, they, they, they love people, they try and do what they can do. But our job is not just to speak the truth, it's to make sure they hear it. And this is harder than it sounds. It was hard for me. And I went to Albania as a 30-year-old bachelor. I'm in the prime of my life, and I have no other concerns about an American wife or children. I married an Albanian lady. It was as easy for me as it might be for anybody if a, if a, if a family of Americans where the wife and kids are used to giant washing machines and 40,000 choices of shampoo and, you know, they're used to all these con and climate control perfection. And they're used to all that stuff. To take them to a new place is often very difficult. Sometimes the guys are like, you know, I'll just Rambo it. It'll be kind of cool. I don't care. You know, I'll be dirty and sweat. And, you know, guys don't care. But it's not always that easy for the family. And it's, it's hard to not live with all the Western conveniences. And, but it's much more than that because you've got to learn a whole new language. But it's more, much more than that because you have to learn a whole culture, which means it's the way that they think because they don't think that the way that you think and they do things differently. And when you view how they do things, you say, well, that's dumb. But it's the way they've been doing them for thousands of years. And oh, by the way, you're the visitor. Oh yeah, and I forgot to mention, they didn't invite you. Well, God sent me. Yeah, but they don't care. They think you're an idiot. They want to come to America, and you left America to go there. They think you're a loser. There's something wrong with this guy. I've been accused of more stuff. They thought I ditched an American wife to come get me an Albanian one. They thought I worked for the CIA. They thought all kind of stuff about me. You, there must be something wrong with this guy because he seems okay, but he can't be okay because a normal American wouldn't live in Albania. They wouldn't do it. You've got to figure out how to get that thing across to him. It's just good planning. It's more than just pragmatic. It's biblical. It's what God requires of us. And let me just tell you, it's been my experience. Few and far between are the places that you can actually get real training in this area before you go anywhere. Short of having the privilege and opportunity of doing an extended internship outside of your culture.
it's almost impossible to just teach with lessons. And what I want to implement, what I want to see us do in LFBI is every single career missionary candidate that comes through gets put on an internship for a minimum of six months, maybe up to a year, in any country. It doesn't matter if it's the one you think you're going to go to. Just to learn how to do it. In fact, you might want to practice in some country you're not going to land in, so when you mess up, you can leave. And then go do it right somewhere else. This is so important, I can't emphasize it to you. Good, godly men who have studied the Bible, they just don't do this. And let me just tell you, the nationals, they may be poor. They may be dirty. They may not have conveniences. They are not stupid. They're not unintelligent. They see, you know, us, them, us, them. <laughs> they see that. The servants that are serving you in your home and your family, they got friends. They're telling your stories, man. And at the end of the day, all that matters is they're viewing your message as foreign. They're viewing your message as foreign. When I moved to Albania, um, I was a bachelor, I, again, I moved into a state-run children's orphanage. That's where I lived for a month or so. Picture in your mind those stories of like the feed the children videos where they're eating the mush and the flies are crawling out of their nostrils and you know, all that kind of stuff. That was where I started living. Then I moved into a home of, a, I rented a bedroom of a family, an Albanian family that didn't speak any English and went to bed every night with a headache and tried, and you know, super nice family, tried their best to make hand, we, we did pantomime all evening trying to learn stuff. And anyways, I just, I just had to do whatever I had to do to learn. And I, and I worked all day and all night trying to learn what I could. There was no school to go to to learn their language. I just carried around a notepad and wrote stuff down. Um, I, 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 I was visiting people day and night, winning people to the Lord because it was just wide open at that time. And, and, and six months in, I, I, I literally had some medical thing happen to me. I don't know. It was associated with fatigue. And my body just shut down. And I literally couldn't walk from here to the back of the auditorium without sitting down halfway and resting. I, I, I had to lay down for about seven days and just take in some fluids and, and just rest and kind of recoup. And I mean, it just beat me to death. And then, you know, then fast, and our ministry's growing. And Erla was my translator, and I married her. And, you know, we started having kids. and. Our church was full of college students and high school students, and that's just who was getting saved. And so our kids start to grow, and we got babies, but we're, they're the only babies in church. We don't have a nursery, and all our friends are college kids who come from families whose parents are atheists who are mad at us because their kids are now Christians, and they live in dorms, and they don't have homes, and we didn't have... I'm not complaining. I'm just giving you a scenario. Again, I'm just telling you my story. They, they, we, wanted, we didn't have any fellowship with people. Because nobody in our church had a house to go to. And we had a house, but they didn't always come over. And we, I mean, it, it, was just, it was just hard. 
No more recreation, no more playing golf or tennis or softball. None of that, that's all gone. I mean, it's a new life. And it just makes, it just like makes life hard. And I'm just going to tell you something. It's a mindset. It's a mentality. And if you are not really willing to go and be a real part of their daily lives, just stay home. Just stay home and hang out with people like yourself, people that you like. <laughs> quit torturing yourself and quit torturing them. I know it sounds counterproductive to what I'm trying to say. So on one hand, I always say this, we need more missionaries and that's why I'm here, right? Matthew 9, he saw the multitudes move with compassion. They were fainted, scattered abroad like sheep having no shepherd. Pray the Lord of the harvest, right? Send forth labors into his harvest. But at the same time, I would say we need fewer missionaries. <laughs> of the wrong kind, the guys that won't adapt, the guys who won't contextualize a message, right? Proverbs 16, 9, I got a roll. A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. So the two points I have for you, be a man of vision, devise your way, make a plan. You should have a plan. You aim at nothing, you hit it every time. Make a plan. Paul had a plan. The problem is God kept changing it. And so that's the last part. The Lord directs his steps. So that's point two. Be flexible. Be a man of vision. Make a plan. But be flexible. You make a plan. You devise your way. I think that when I get there, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And you get there and you're like, that ain't working. But I met this guy and he's doing something different. Okay, well, let's just do that. And let God direct your steps. You make a plan, but let God direct your steps. It's a great missions principle. Let's look quick at Ezekiel 3.15. We'll get back to Ezekiel in more detail tomorrow. Then I came to them in the captivity of Tel Abib and dwelt, that dwelt by the river Kebar, and I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. We don't have time to talk about Ezekiel. Again, we'll do that tomorrow in some detail. Now, Ezekiel's not a foreign missionary. He's sent to his own people. But nevertheless, there's a really great principle that rolls into the next verse, and it says, and it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, so what did Ezekiel do when he went to where he went to a group of people that he had not been familiar with? They were his own people, but he had not been familiar with them. He just went there and sat where they sat. Seven days, seven, a complete cycle. He went there and sat where they, Jesus, 30 years before he begins his public ministry, sat where they sat. And at the end of the seven days, God said, okay, now let me tell you what to do. You know what a good missionary strategy is if you're just starting out? When you land on a field, you know what you should do? Nothing. You're like, that sounds like a job for me. <laughs> well, eventually you will. But you've got to pay attention. You've got to see what, you know, the whole experiencing God thing, see what God's already doing and go join him. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? I mean, that's an important principle. You sit where they sit. You live where they live. You eat what they eat. You speak like they speak. You do what they do. You do it how they do it. You learn how to do that. You pray Lord, where you lead me, I will follow. What they feed me, I will swallow. <laughs> First Corinthians 9, we're done. We're not. Though I be free from all men, have made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. The Jews became as a Jew, that I might gain them that are under the law, the, the Jews them that are under the law, etc., etc. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. The whole idea is just simply this. 
The person who changes is you. The message doesn't change, but your presentation and your manner changes. You put yourself in the best possible position so the message can be heard. That's what you do. That I might save some. Paul is not making converts to look like little Jerusalem Gamaliel school Pharisees. We change our sociology to adapt the message, to contextualize it for them. Don't misunderstand me. Godly men and women surrender their lives and give up a lot to go serve the Lord somewhere else, but they don't do this, and what happens is they crash and they burn. And my time's up, and I don't, I don't wanna go over because there's a lot going on this week, but let me just tell you something. I have seen far, far too frequently lives of people that I came to know and love who probably God never called them, but they had a good heart and they were willing and they were volunteers, but they were probably not proven and they were not ready. And they arrived in a place and they were not flexible and they, they had to have certain things the way they had to have them. And that culture and that life just ate them up and spit them out and great was the fall of them. So much so that when they returned back to the States with their tail between their legs, God bless them, their lives never fully recovered. This is a man-size appointment, y'all. I mean, this is serious, serious business. I'm here to challenge all of you to consider it. But man, don't, don't kid yourself. This is not for everybody. This is a big honking deal. And you gotta take it seriously. And if you do some of, if you just consider these things and you take your time and you work through the system, God will put them into place so it'll help you. Let me just pray and we'll be done. Thanks for your attention. Lord Jesus, we commit these things to you and I pray that you'd use them. We love you and we surrender our hearts to you. Don't know exactly what you want for each and every one, but we wanna say, Lord, like Pastor Mark shared with us, whatever, wherever, and whenever. And Lord, just make it clear to us and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.